0: Hi, Hannah. Hey, Anna. Hey. So we've been talking about our identities as writers for a while now. I think it's time to do our podcast. That's a great idea. But what should we call it? Hmm. How about How about a play on the pen is mightier than the sword? Like the pen is. That, that's it. The pen is.
1: The pen is so many things. It's scary, it's honest, it's funny. And the pen lets us
0: explore what it means to be a work in progress. And hey, Hannah, we are a work in progress. You said it. Let's get started. OK. Um,
1: so moving to your piece, it was a little bit different. Um, I'll just kind of give a quick overview of your prompt. Um, so not, you know, kind of separate from what we've talked about last time. And then my, um, prompt for this time, I wanted you to do a fiction first person perspective of sort of a day in the life of, of someone you see as a healer. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed reading this piece, but tell me a little bit about, um, the experience of writing it.
0: Yeah, I was a little daunted just because uh it's so easy for me to write more of like nonfiction work or thing, you know, things that I'm working through that just that just flows because that's, you know, how I write journaling. And I love writing stories, but I feel like it's that's why I often don't write is because I get terrified <laughs> of actually starting something because I there's just like peace in me that I get overwhelmed by like details and where I want the story to go and um, you know, where do I even begin? And so I spent spent like several days, you know, after we spoke on Sunday, just kind of like at work, sort of thinking about it of like, you know, how do I do this piece? But then I had realized I'd forgotten what the prompt really was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, I was on one of my breaks at work, just kind of thinking about what to do. And a story came to mind um, as I was walking down the road. Uh, a lot of the, pe- a lot of the um, experience in this story, while this is fictional, actually did happen to me in, in one capacity or another. Mm. Um, so there's, it's, it's a fictional character, uh, a woman I, I named Zara, and she's a medical professional. I kind of just left that open to to what she really does um Mm -hmm. because i didn't really want to go you know that wasn't really the point of diving deep into that but um i wanted to i wanted to take it so i first started writing in third person because i forgot you asked first person so i I wrote half of it in third person and then when i typed it out (laughs) i had to change it all um so that was interesting um, but I did, I did end up writing a lot of this on my breaks at work because the setting basically took place on this road, um, that I take my breaks on at work
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, um, the, the two people that it's about, uh, Sheila and David are actually two unhoused people that I helped, um, a couple months ago, but the. How the story changed, like the outcome of the story, isn't real um, necessarily, mm-hmm. or at least yet. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I based it on like a real experience that I had, and like a real experience that I experience every single day walking down a road. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story itself is fictional. Otherwise.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you? Um, I guess did this might be a little bit of a leading question, was it cathartic at all to write about it? Or did you feel like it was, uh, it had some impact on your real life to write about something that, you know, may have somewhat mirrored it, but in a fiction setting?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, the story about me in real life helping this woman with her foot, that whole, all that actually happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It, like with the first week of, of getting my new job. (laughs) Okay. And, and I I feel like I've still been trying to digest like why that happened. Mm -hmm. And um, the the couple still lives there. I walk by them all the time still. Um, And so I don't really have like any, any physical explanation of like why I ended up helping this couple, why she asked me out of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my other co-workers who walked down that road um, and you know I've been really trying to explore the the, the idea of how uh, of, of healing from trauma um, and how to do that connected to land to the earth that's been been something that I've been trying to understand, especially through this book I'm reading called If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie. She's a psychologist. Um, she's English and she, she weaves uh, this non-fictional story about her life, but how it, it connects with um, your place, you know, your ancestors and she's, you know, I, I, she's English and Irish and Scottish. And so she, and she's celtic so she really takes a lot on like celtic mythologies and how um how you know indigenous cultures back when were more earth based and had you know more feminine based um but how much in in this you know very patriarchal society we live in and how it's it, there's taboo against mental health and all that kind of stuff how how it is that we as women are turning back towards the earth back towards the land to to reclaim ourselves to reroot ourselves, um, in in so that we can stand stronger, rooted in in our ancestry, rooted in our ties to the earth, for healing mm-hmm. for ourselves, you know, self healing. But then, how does self healing equal healing for every everything else? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. So that was kind of like the the angle I ended up, you know, being feeling impassioned to to write upon. Um, and it, my my writings always end up going to more nature, just because. A you know I have a lot of knowledge around um, the natural world, but also you know if I'm going to be a descriptive writer, I want to be able to to really bring draw in the audience of of walking down the road on this marsh of what what plants and animals what what is the la- you know the soundscape, uh, what is the you know what is what are the smells what are what, like everything around that, so like there's so much of nature needs to come into writing in order to make it, you know, a rich experience for for the reader.
1: So did writing about this experience that it sounds like you're still kind of processing for yourself, did you have any realizations or did anything surprise you? Um, or did it help you with with that processing? At all?
0: Yeah, I mean, what i really wanted to get at with this story and i don't know if it really came across this way i i don't even know how much i actually like it or how much i feel like it's even that good like i'm kind of like sort of on the fence about about the story itself mm-hmm. but what i really wanted to to get across i think in in terms of the idea of of a healer is that you know the the protagonist of the story is is a medical professional who is tired. She's tired of, of helping all the time. She feels resentful that she's in a profession where she feels like she's getting drained because all she does is help, but then doesn't feel like she gets any reward out of it. And, um, you know, she meets a woman who is unhoused, who has medical conditions, who, you know, to, to Zara is a very, you know, coarse kind of I don't want to say disgusting, but somebody who she, she believes her lifestyle, she's disgusted by because she, she lives on the street. She's, you know, lives in squalor. Um, she's not taking care of herself, at least in her in Zara's perspective. And and then in the end, you know, realizing just this one interaction with this person where Zara didn't even actually in her mind, help her physically. Mm-hmm. Um, how in the end, this, this woman with with a swollen foot, uh, ended up healing Zara, you know, helping guide her to her own healing. And Zara didn't even realize like, why did this woman choose me, mm-hmm. um, to help her? Like, I, I, why would she choose me? Um, and in the end it's like, who's healing who? Mm-hmm. And so it's like the idea that you can get messages, you can get healing, you can get um, guidance by any person or anything, as long as you're open to hearing that message. Mm -hmm.
1: So you just said that you aren't quite sure how you feel about the story. You're not sure if you like it or not. just looking back at it, I, I'd like to hear from you what your favorite part of the story is.
0: I really think like it's like the beginning and the end, uh, like especially. I I wanted to have some sort of some symbolic tie um, to kind of bring the story back full circle, and I was debating on whether like like how I could have a, a theme, you know, like. Um, whether the woman Sheila gave Zara, you know, an object that reminded her of her trauma or, you know, some other way of beginning the story with some elements that I can tie back in into the end. And I struggled with that for a while. Um, and then I think I'm trying to remember what day I finished it. Um, I think I began writing it maybe Tuesday on one of my breaks. And I spent like several days over, over breaks and over just like downtimes at work or at home. Um, just sort of like piecing it together on like paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time it was, I think it was Friday morning, um, Friday afternoon, I had finished working from home. And I was needing I was missing a ch- like the end of hmm. the piece. And, and as I started writing the end, I'm like how am I going to write this up uh, you know, wrap this up? How am I going to get to this, this woman's cathartic healing moment? Um, and how do I tie this whole story back together? I had the day before been walking along that road and looked up at the power line and saw these swallows. And um, there were three of them on a power line and immediately in my head, I thought of three little birds on my doorstep. And I was like, that's really sweet. Even just just a picture of that, the image of like a silhouetted birds on a power line, just three of them evenly spaced. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And um, I decided I wanted to try and bring, I wanted to bring some sort of bird into it. I wanted to bring some sort of element into Zara's final breakthrough of letting go of this, this trauma of losing a baby Mm -hmm. um, that she'd been holding on to and just, you know, basically dying from, from the inside out. Um, How can I bring the element of nature into this to um, allow that final like courage piece, you know, to holding her in in that space. Mm -hmm. And The swallows, it's strange, I hadn't noticed them as much as the last couple weeks that they're, they're flocking more um, and and they sit on this one power line in in the marsh, always in this one spot and they come and sit and they just chatter, they just talk to each other. And then they fly and you can see they just, they just exude this joy of life of being in companionship with each other and flying on the wing and like like how amazing would it be to be a swallow (laughs) because they just they just seem like they have so much fun and so um that idea of tying in a song tying in these birds that represent hope um that represent like that that everything is going to be okay you know Mm -hmm. especially when you allow yourself to feel and, and allow the earth to take your grief
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so that was like really what what made that story better for me in terms of like this feels like I, I feel it you know instead of just it's just a story no I'm like as I'm writing it I'm feeling the emotion I'm feeling the pain I, I'm, I've had experiences like this you know it's, it's taken from similar experiences
1: mm-hmm. and so um, looking back at your piece it sounds like the being able to it's not to say that it's like wrapping things up tidily but being able to give it that deeper meaning especially with imagery that you identify so closely with i know birds are something that have had a lot of symbolism for you and obviously music as well um it sounds like that was a really um fulfilling or satisfying experience, even if it wasn't something that you, you know, you sort of left yourself open to having that resolution, even Mm. at the beginning of the day, you still weren't sure how you were going to resolve this story.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely had undertones of, you know, being cathartic in, in that if I'm writing a piece, and this is what it's always often been like for me is, when I am finishing it, like when I am wrapping it up in terms of this is the end of the story, at least in this moment, do I feel that swelling? Do I feel like if somebody were reading this, they would um, feel complete? Like, like um, you know, scratching an itch or, you know, the moment when you feel that tension about you know, forgetting something the moment, and then you realize what you remember and you, the, that surrender that release that feeling of like who or you know like a, like in a piece of music when you have a dissonant note or whatever and then it resolves
1: mm-hmm.
0: like does it does does this story end with resolution does my reader feel satisfied with with this ending with with whatever culminated in in those pages and in those words is there is a resolution at the end and the reader can feel complete by putting it down
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, and i did feel that at the end of it and and yet i still feel like there's so much more that could be done with it or that it could be expanded to something larger or not you know it could just be a standalone piece of me trying to learn you know, the more I write, the more I learn, the more, the better I become, you know, not every piece that I write has to be this, you know, incredible piece of work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, how is this, this one writing piece teaching me so that I can become a better writer with the next one that I do?
1: Mm-hmm. Do you, I'm wondering, you know, thinking about, especially a protagonist who does share um, much of you and I think you know often people say like write what you know Mm -hmm. maybe that doesn't apply to 50% of Harry Potter (laughs) (laughs) you know outside of some of those sort of specific examples often you know writers that do achieve you know not necessarily fame but just writers that we think of as good writers they are about their own experiences but I also, I wonder, so for you with writing this, were there periods where you felt like you were inhabiting your protagonist and then other periods where you felt like you were detached from her or it was an out-of-body experience or how did you relate to her or not throughout the process of writing the piece?
0: I really wanted to write Zara's character as like really different from mine. Like I made her to be, I I, I had wanted to, I'd wanted to add more elements in of like saying that she was Catholic mm-hmm. um, and maybe even um, Hispanic or some you know, it was like, like, you know, me being a Caucasian, you know, Eurocentric woman, <laughs> I guess I'd say uh, non-Christian um, earth-based kind of person. Um I really wanted this character to really take on her own self and her own life and her own reasons for having her thoughts, which is why I wanted her to be disgusted by the unhoused people on the road. Well, for myself, I actually work with unhoused people. I, work with, I have worked with a volunteer program called Occupy Medical as a clinical herbalist where I work with unhoused people and I have a lot of compassion um, an understanding for people who are are struggling
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but I wanted to make this this person this this character someone who was tired of of that compassion of that empathy, and like didn't like the idea that people were just squandering their life away, you know like sort of that that other perspective of like having no compassion for people who who are disadvantaged in that way mm-hmm. um, and I really wanted to bring that element in. And I felt a little bit funny trying to do it just because like, yeah, it is based on some things that I'm not experienced with. I don't have experience with much with Christian religion, especially Catholicism, other than like, you know, I have gone to mass. I have friends who are Catholic. I have, you know, I've read and watched a lot about, you know, Catholicism and all that kind of stuff. But I feel very, it feels very foreign to me because it's not my, my value system, my mindset. I don't go there. I balk that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was curious how to bring that in and I wanted to, you know, I had wanted to bring it in more and I just ended up, you know, needing to finish it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But um, so there, I felt like I wanted to make a character who was, who was quite different from me uh, other than the fact that like I had been wanting to go into nursing and like I, I had been wanting to go into more of a healing field for a long time. Um, And then like the love that the woman has had for the marsh for walking along the road for being outside for moving that that was more me that was more of my um those are more elements of of what i wanted to bring into the story um to make it more alive and and then her resolution you know as our as, you know healing like that that that's based on some stuff that i have worked through personally with you know, I haven't actually had a miscarriage or I've not, I have not lost a child. So that's not based on any truth for myself. But like, what is the symbolism of that, of an empty womb of somebody in, a, in pain suffering silently? You know, that is something I can relate to that I, I felt like I have suffered silently my whole life um, for different reasons. And so I, I was curious to see how I could have a character who is was drastically different from me in many ways but then when she you know broke down and healed that then there was elements of being related to that of, of connection there. Mm-hmm.
1: It's interesting hearing you talk about your process because I will say uh, when I was reading it um, and especially when it's where you are first introduced to the area that um, with sheila and david Mm um the descriptors that you were using you know and sort of the the perception or perspective was so not you (laughs) 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 that i was like have i just really misjudged this person i've been friends with for so long and then i had to keep reminding myself like no this is a fiction piece (laughs)
0: good good (laughs) (laughs) but
1: I will say you know it does um just the her so her sort of inner thoughts about it um reminded me a little bit there there was a series I read earlier this year just for fun uh very kind of beach reedy written by a woman from I think I want to say Mississippi Mm -hmm. Um, no sorry rural Georgia rural Georgia Um, and she's not writing about the same topics at all but I felt like it was a similar voice of like this you know white probably sort of middle-class somewhat Christian perspective And again, it was sort of weird reading something that you had written, but then hearing this other very different writer's voice in my head, um, because that just was the closest thing I could think of to the perspective of your narrator. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's super interesting. Now, her whole process with sort of compassion fatigue or burnout, um, is that something that, that Came from your experience or um, is it something more that you've been maybe witness to in other people?
0: Yeah, I feel like it's a mixture of things. Like I, you know, I dove headfirst into clinical herbalism for a while there and like took clients and became the clinical director of my herbal school here in town and like was just pushing and pushing and pushing for something that like didn't quite feel right yet. And um, and as I've gone through a lot of my personal work with self-healing, um, and especially around the, the idea of codependency, I'm reading the book Codependent No More to really try to understand that better. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different elements around codependency, uh, but it generally stems from the same issues with conditionings with your parents of, of being shamed of not being seen of being put down of you know uh, living with a mentally ill parent or an alcoholic um and so there's different elements of codependency that comes out of people depending on who the person is and what their experience was but for for more me my experience with codependency and and my behaviors around that have been like the fixer wanting to be the savior wanting to heal people because i don't because i have I put so much worth in, in um thinking that I am saving somebody because so then then I'm valuable somehow because I have done. and I and from reading this book, a lot of what the author talks about is a lot of people in caregiving and healing fields are people who are extremely codependent. And what happens with that is um you, what do they call it? She calls it like the resentment triangle or something along those lines. I'm saying it wrong. Um, but like If you're a person who is a people pleaser um, or a person who feels like you you know you need to control a situation to fix somebody quote unquote that you know you do an act that had no consent by the other person and then the person who had that act had upon them um you know reacts because like they didn't really want it in the first place or you know i wanted to help that person but i did it in a wrong way that actually offended them or whatever and then I'm angry and resentful because I was doing something nice for you and then you don't even like it. And then all of a sudden that, you know, and, and then it winds back around to back to my self-hating self-shame, all that kind of stuff, because I was trying to find value outside of myself with pushing too hard of wanting to have value. And yet I still have the passion and drive to heal, to help people. Like I do want that, like that, that is a true passion. Um, so I, I, I was curious about if I'm writing a fictional piece about a person who's in the healing field, um, what does that look like for that person? If, if, if they are burnt out, if they aren't doing their self care, Um, who is looking out for that person if they're not doing it for themselves? Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure if I answered your question. I forgot where I was going.
1: (laughs) No, I think that's, it's super interesting. Yeah. To hear about, um, yeah, like, not only how it ties into kind of the broader caring professions, because they do tend to be more susceptible to that, but then also to this kind of relationship dynamic of of being raised to be codependent. So that was, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and then, so were there anything, you know, any experiences that were surprising um, doing this as a fiction piece or what was challenging, you know, kind of our, our typical, mm-hmm. what was enjoyable and
0: what was surprising mm-hmm. about it? I am most challenged by dialogue. Okay. Um, I could like write somebody's inner monologue all day long, but the moment that I need, I need to tie in a different character and a different character's voice, and even though, like, I'm an actor, so like, I hear these things in my head. I, I, I can see it. I can, like, I can even do it. Um, but then I somehow get overwhelmed or stuck when I, when I need to, like, bring in dialogue between one or more people, and then bring in other characters. And how do I bring that character to life through, through what, how they speak and their speech? And I was really daunted by that, and that's why I really wanted to, like try and do a lot of dialogue more than I usually do to just push myself and like, how would this person sound? How does the main character sound different from this character versus this character? And like, um, I still don't feel like completely happy with, with especially Sheila's like dialogue because it was really, really, hard to emulate what, what I had heard. So I was trying to really like bring back to life, like this actual person who exists. As much as I could, mm-hmm. um, but still try to make it a bit fictional. And so I was I was extremely challenged even still by by um, writing dialogue for these characters and giving them a u- unique voice. Um, and like I feel like I need more time to just continue just playing around with characters' voice on paper um, and how to make them different and unique and so that, that, that was a challenge, even though I did it, like it, it wasn't like I kept getting stuck, but as I'm writing it, I'm like, this isn't isn't," like when I'm writing or playing music or trying to write a song or trying to express myself, I I realize how much I I try to feel inside of me of what I'm trying to say. And and that, what I was talking about before that tension and release of Mm -hmm. like, when I'm feeling tension, it's because like, I'm not quite, getting across what it is that i'm feeling right it's not it's not aligning yet Mm -hmm. um and so as i'm writing this i'm i'm like there's too much tension i'm not this doesn't feel fully right yet but i don't know how to to adjust to get that resolution so um i think yeah the 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 biggest challenge was was the dialogue but then also i spent quite a few days just trying to figure out how to really wrap this because i had an idea of how i wanted to end but I really wanted it to be like symbolic and tied together and not just like this cliffhanger kind of thing of like, and then it ends. And you're like, how did it even get there?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that gives me an idea potentially for your next prompt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But so then uh, thinking about, were there any parts that were really enjoyable or satisfying about, I mean, I guess you've talked a little bit about finally reaching that, that resolution of the story was, um, I think uh, something you're, that you're proud of, but was there anything during the writing of it before you got that resolution that was enjoyable or surprising? Um, and there doesn't have to be, you know, it's not not every experience of writing has moments of joy.
0: <laughs> no, can you rephrase the question? Maybe I'm not understanding what you're asking.
1: So I think, um, you know, you've talked about sort of, I don't know if it, it's the saddest, Faction, but mm-hmm. um, that resolution you talked about with um, finding an ending that that fit what you were looking for, that created that sense of relief. Mm-hmm. Before that, so the process leading, mm-hmm. that, did you have yeah. any moments in there that were surprising or enjoyable, or was it all kind of? Maybe sort of awkward and uncomfortable, really, until you got that resolution.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to think back like a couple of days ago before I like set upon this like resolution. I, it was uncomfortable. It was, it was like, um, you know, when you're trying to figure out a puzzle or you, you, you know, you're almost there at figuring something out, but there's that, that discomfort that, that, um, like it's not quite right yet, Do you know I can't think of the word of what that is. Um, yeah. I spent quite a bit of time in that space of like I know how I want this to feel, but I'm not cognitively cognitively <laughs> um, figuring it out i'm not I'm not putting the pieces together yet, and actually for me that's I love that process because that's like um that's the work right that's that's the creativity that's the gears turning of like how do I make this interesting how does that how do I fit the pieces together so that when that puzzle is done it's just this perfectly flat finished piece that feels um that that I can be proud of even if if, if the whole work isn't like exactly how I wanted to go where, where can I play with this? This is, this is all about the curiosity and the play of like, putting myself into the shoes of some other character, of some other life. And, and how do I bring that into reality, into, into a living, breathing thing that other, some other person who might be reading it could cling on to because they found some relevance in it. Even if, even if that's never been their experience, like even with acting, when I'm on stage, I, I love doing live performances because I actually can feel the energy of the audience and, and I, can, I can tell if the audience is engaged or not or if they're feeling or not or if, they are, if I am emoting something and that, whether the audience is actually receiving that in the way I want them to receive it. And then if I feel like there's that tension, that, that, not, that the discord, that something's not fully set, that they're not experiencing the same thing I am, that I can somehow play with it and shift it and see where I can like push it here or pull back there or whatever it is to finally feel that full feeling of boom, we're all in this. Now we, we all feel the same thing and we, we're, we're feeling lifted. We're feeling swelled with whatever that feeling is. And so like playing with that, of that being in that, um, disharmonious place means that like, there's some, some seed that is ready to sprout, it's almost there. And if I can just find that last little piece, then it will culminate into this like harmonic.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, so, okay. Here's what I'm thinking for next time to kind of keep pushing you to develop this aspect. Uh, and tell me if you think this is not something you wanna focus on or you'd rather, you know, do something different. Um, I want to ask you to just write a dialogue. And it can be fiction, completely fiction. Um, or it can be, you know, I think about like when you read memoirs written by David Sedaris or someone where clearly they're taking some artistic license with what <laughs> happened, but there is that kernel of truth. So I'm not expecting you to wholeheartedly or like wholesale um copy down the transcript of exactly what was said, but you can, if you don't want to make it fiction, you can think back to a real situation, scenario, and sort of recreate what you think the dialogue would have been, Um, but really in doing this, focus on that uncomfortable spot of developing the characters' voices that you don't feel you can really embody yet. Anything else that we didn't cover in discussing your piece that you'd like to
0: bring up today? Um, no, other than I just, I really actually, really got into writing it. And I even shared it with my aunt, who is the uh, who is the author, and she has been encouraging me to embrace my writing skills more and more. And she sent me this um, New York Times piece about, like, seven different things you don't know about being a writer you know like writer's block isn't real or um you know just little funny little things about you know once you become a writer or once you delve more into writing you become a hermit (laughs) like people wonder where you went because it becomes addictive and uh i was just thinking along those lines of like my experience this week writing that piece and like being in that creative space was really it was very cathartic for me especially with all the intensity of my life right now, my life changes and what's going on. Um, It actually, there's an amazing piece for me that I often go into my head, I get spirally. I, you know, think about things that are negative instead of staying positive. And so having a creative piece, a creative outlet really helps me not go into my head.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Mm Okay. Do you feel like you are developing an obsession with it or do you feel that like a pull to do it? Um, I guess obsession, I think has often negative connotations, but yeah, <laughs> like drawn to it. Uh, the more that you're doing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, this has always been a thing I've, I've, I've even, you know, as, as a kid, I always got this like creative, um, you know, like, a like, like, it's like a drug, it's, it's a drug inducing when I'm doing it and I feel good about the outcome of, of what I created and wrote. And at the same time, I, I get overwhelmed by it. And then suddenly, like, I get overwhelmed that I want to do it too much. I, don't, I can't even explain whether that is, I don't know where that comes from. But, then I get scared that I'm going to go into a dry period and then not write again, even though it's totally fine, it's just, it's natural, it's normal but i get i almost get too scared of wanting to do it too much <laughs> does that make sense <laughs> yeah yep
1: <laughs> especially with something so personal
0: yeah yeah it's i don't i, I, I can't quite explain it